You are listening to audio from Faith Church. If you are in the Seminole, St. Pete area, we would love for you to join us on a Sunday. To learn more, visit us at faithrs.org. And let's continue in our time of worship by opening God's Word together. So if you have your Bible, will you grab that and go with me to Colossians chapter 2? Colossians chapter 2. And if you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you one this morning. You'll find some Bibles and some ESV scripture journals on those tables in the back of the room. You're welcome to take one of those now so you can follow along with us this morning and in the remainder of this series. Uh, The teaching uh, today will be based on Colossians chapter 2, verses 8, all the way to the end of the chapter, verse 23. So a bit of a longer passage today. Uh, As always, I invite you to stand with me if you're willing and able in honor of the reading of God's Word. Colossians 2 verses 8 to 23. All scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for his people. So listen carefully to these words. See to it that no one takes you captive, that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you... You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings? These have indeed an appearance, an appearance of wisdom, in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, this is one of those passages that if we did not truly believe in the authority of God's word, we would probably just skip it and go on to the next one. Because as you no doubt notice, there's a lot of strange terminology in this passage and we read it and we probably are not immediately struck by the relevance of it. We hear all those strange terms and we're like, how in the world does any of this apply to us today trying to live out our faith in the real world? But as you'll see as we go through this passage, it's actually very relevant and we do believe in the authority of scripture, which means we don't skip passages 
all Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for His people. So there's much for us to learn and be challenged by in this passage. Here at the end of chapter 2, we find the best clues in the whole letter about what those philosophers, those false teachers were teaching. If you've been tracking with us since the very beginning of this series, preeminent, we've been going through the letters of Colossians and Philemon. We're still in Colossians right now, coming to chapter 2, the end of it today. You'll recall that the reason Paul wrote this letter is because he became aware, he heard a report from one of his colleagues, Epaphras, while he was in prison, Epaphras comes to him somehow and says, hey, Paul, you got to do something about these false teachers, these philosophers in Colossae. They had gained a hearing. They were leading many of the Christians astray. And so Paul writes this letter to deal with that problem of false teaching. There was heresy on the streets in the city of Colossae. Now, last week, I unpacked a bit those terms, orthodoxy and heresy. Orthodoxy is doctrinal correctness, good teaching, right belief. Heresy is doctrinal error, bad teaching, wrong belief. There was heresy in the city of Colossae, and that's what Paul writes to deal with. That heresy, that false teaching, was the primary threat to Christ-centered living. You'll recall from last week, We ended on that subject of Christ-centered living. We ended by looking at chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, the very heart of the letter where Paul says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted, built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. But Paul writes these words, well aware of the fact that there are other voices in Colossae. There are voices whispering into the ears of men and women, boys and girls in the church, and those voices were saying something like, yes, you received Christ Jesus, but now you need more. You need something new. You need to add to Jesus. They were proponents of a Jesus plus spirituality. They weren't saying reject Jesus. They probably saw a place in God's plan for Jesus, but for them, Jesus was insufficient. It was a Jesus plus approach to spirituality. Just like today, we have Disney plus, ESPN plus, all the pluses. And there's something about that plus that it just, it awakens within us this yearning, this desire, right? Oh, Disney, I've heard of Disney, but Disney Plus? I can have more? What is the plus? Who knows? Who cares? I want it. Whatever it is. Something like that was happening in this ancient city of Colossae. It was a Jesus plus approach to spirituality. And so Paul writes to combat that. He writes to teach them, to teach us, the church today, that Jesus plus anything ruins everything. Jesus plus anything ruins everything because to add to Jesus is to treat him as insufficient. And that's exactly what they were doing. Now in this passage at the end of chapter 2, we get the most detailed teaching in the letter, like I said, about the content, the plus. What were they adding to Jesus? Jesus plus what? 
Here we get many clues, but we need to enter this passage with caution. Anytime we study one of Paul's letters where he's addressing false teaching, where he's refuting false teaching, we're doing what we call mirror reading. Hang with me on this for a second, it's important. We're taking the letter that was designed to refute the false teaching and we're looking in it as a mirror, hoping to see a reflection of those people and ideas that were causing so much problem in the first century. It's, it's kind of like this. It's like you're overhearing a telephone conversation, but you only get part of the details. You only get part of the communication. Imagine you're in the room with a friend, and your friend across the room answers the phone. And out loud she says, he resigned? Now there are certain things we can conclude from that, right? We can conclude that someone no longer works somewhere. But because we have only part of that conversation, we need to be cautious with our conclusions. For example, we don't know who resigned. We don't know if they were forced to resign or if it was voluntary. We don't know if it was a good move or a bad move. There are many details we don't have, and so we should be cautious with that conversation. In a way, when we study this passage, when we're mirror reading a text like this, we're listening to Paul and the Colossians talk on the phone. The Colossians knew who these false teachers were. They're in their city, after all. They knew the philosophers. They were aware of some of the things circulating on the streets in a way that you and I are not. So Paul can use words or terms like elemental spirits. We'll see that one in this passage. He can use that phrase without defining it, without explaining it, because there was a shared knowledge between him and the Colossians. Now, when we hear the term elemental spirits, we're a bit lost, right? We have no idea what that means. We've got to do our best to figure it out by mirror reading the text. So, think about your favorite detective, whoever that might be, Sherlock Holmes. Put on your Sherlock Holmes hat. Poirot, if you're more of an Agatha Christie fan, curl your Poirot mustache this morning and get ready, get ready to go with me into this text. As a detective, we're going to do the best we can to look at these clues and deduce what we can about what these false teachers were teaching and, of course, how it's relevant for us today. How is it relevant for us today? Paul will develop three notions in this passage. Alertness, that's the first one. Fullness, that's the second, and then worthless practices. So two of these are gonna have negative connotations. Those are the bookends of the passage, alertness and worthless practices. Both of those have to do with the philosophers and what they were teaching. And then in the middle, he's going to help us understand, see, experience the fullness of the spiritual experience we have in Christ. If you have Christ, you have everything you need. You don't need the plus, whatever the plus might be. So alertness, fullness, worthless practices. That's where we're going today. Detective hats on, ready? Here we go. First, alertness. Look at verse eight. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. See to it, he's insisting, see to it that no one takes you captive. The verb he uses here means to take control of, to carry off as prisoner or plunder. 
But the context of verse 8, the rest of the verse will show us, he's not worried about physical prisoners here. He's worried about some type of a spiritual imprisonment. He doesn't want the church to be taken captive by ideas. Ideas that he classifies as philosophy and empty deceit. Now, the word philosophy today has more of a narrow sense. In Paul's day, it could apply to any system of thought. Maybe those false teachers were referring to themselves, as I've argued, as philosophers. They called their teaching the philosophy, and so maybe that's why Paul uses the term here. Whatever they called it, Paul knows the truth. The truth is it's empty deceit. Empty deceit. Empty of what? It's empty of truth. It's empty of power because it's empty of truth. And it's empty of truth because it's based on human tradition, not divine revelation. This is not a message that has come down from on high from God. This is a human message. Now, so far, so good. So far, we're tracking with everything Paul has said. But then we hit this hurdle at the end of verse 8. It's according to human tradition. It's not from God. And it's according, their teaching is according to the elemental spirits of the world. Now, what does that mean? The term Paul uses here at its most basic level means element or component, and it's used in a wide variety of settings. For example, it can refer to the components of the alphabet, the letters of the alphabet. It can, can, it can refer to musical notes, but most often in Paul's day, it was used to refer to the elements or the components of the universe. Air, earth, fire, and water. And in Paul's day, many people pictured some sort of cosmic being, spiritual being, associated with each of those elements, the elementals. Remember, in, in those days, people didn't make a neat distinction between material and spiritual the way we do today. So more than likely, what Paul is talking about here is that somewhere in the teaching of these philosophers, of these false teachers, there was an idea that there were these cosmic forces, the elementals, and they needed to be placated. They needed to be calmed down, controlled in some way. And that was a huge part of their teaching. So they may have said something like this. Sure, hang on to Jesus. You've received Jesus, nothing wrong with him. Pray to Jesus, but also placate the elementals. Pray to them. Do something to keep them calm. Do something to control them so that your life will go a lot better. It was Jesus plus. Now, how might this apply to us today? Well, probably you're not praying to the elementals. Most modern minds don't work that way, right? But I don't know what you might have added on top of Jesus. I don't know what other practices you might be experimenting with, hoping that they're going to provide protection for you, get you to the next level of spirituality. Maybe for you it's something like Jesus plus sage the house. Jesus plus buy a spiritual crystal. Jesus plus touch the tunic of the latest guru who's out there. I don't know what you might have added on to Jesus, but Paul is trying to teach us here that if you have Jesus, friend, you have everything you could ever possibly need. And that's where he goes next. In the middle of the passage, he helps us understand this key notion of fullness. Fullness, the fullness of our spiritual experience 
in Christ. See for yourself. Picking up in verse 9, for in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So here's the image he's giving us. Remember a time when you had just had a perfect meal. Maybe it was Thanksgiving feast. Think back to last Thanksgiving. You've just eaten a delicious, perfect meal. You are satisfied. You are completely full. You've got the food baby to prove it. And so you tap out. You put down the fork and you waddle over to the couch to sit down to watch some football. And now imagine that as soon as you hit the couch, someone hands you a hot pocket and they say, eat this. There's no way you're eating that hot pocket, right? That's an easy pass. And why is it an easy pass? Because you just had a perfect meal. You just had the Thanksgiving feast. You are completely full and you know it. And when you're full and you know you're full, you know that that hot pocket is not going to make you more full. It's not going to make you more satisfied. It's gonna make you sick, sick as a dog. Paul is teaching us something here about fullness, but not fullness of belly, fullness of heart. He's teaching us that Jesus, the one in whom the fullness of deity dwells, meaning Jesus is fully God, very similar to the language he used back in chapter one. Jesus, the one who is fully God, we have been filled in him, meaning in relationship with him. If you're in relationship with Jesus, the one who is God, the one who has all the power there is, if you're in relationship with him, then you are satisfied. You are full. You have everything you need for whatever you're facing now and whatever you might face in the future. And when you know that, when you rest in that, it's easy to say no thank you when someone offers you some other path to spirituality. Just like it's easy to say no thank you to that hot pocket when you've just had the Thanksgiving feast. Jesus is sufficient. He's supreme. Now, how do we know that? Because of what he's done for us. Paul goes on. Verse 11, in him also, in Jesus also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, under this same topic of fullness, the fullness of our experience in Christ, Paul now develops these kind of sub-ideas of newness of life and forgiveness of sin. If you're in relationship with Jesus, you have newness of life. Notice he uses the term here, the circumcision of Christ. In the Old Testament, circumcision was a change to the physical body. It was a physical ritual that marked a person as belonging to the covenant community, the people of God. The circumcision of Christ here, Paul is using the term figuratively, metaphorically. It's not a physical ritual, it's a spiritual reality. It's not a change of the body, it's a change of the heart. Only Jesus can change you from the inside out. Only he can get to the root of the problem the sinful heart within us. 
is such a drastic change, in fact, that Paul talks about it using death and resurrection language. In baptism, we're buried with him and then we're raised to walk in newness of life. Jesus gives you and me an entire new way of living. A change of heart, a change of loyalty, a reordering of our loves that affects all of life. And it's not just newness of life, it's also forgiveness. Forgiveness of sin. Look at what he says next. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Note first the completeness of our forgiveness. Believer, he has forgiven you all your trespasses. Not almost all of them. Not all of them except for that one thing, that one terrible thing you did all those years ago. That one thing you can't get past, you can't stop punishing yourself for. You have been forgiven all your trespasses. The picture Paul gives us to help us understand that reality, he says that God has canceled the record of debt that stood against us. It's a financial term. If you've ever been in a position where you owed someone a great deal of money and you were not sure how you were ever going to be able to pay it all back, maybe you buy a house, and then suddenly, unexpectedly, you lose your job. And you're thinking, there's no way. How am I ever going to pay off this debt? If you've ever been in a position like that, you know the weight of that financial debt. You know the weight of it. That's the very image Paul uses here. He talks about this certificate of indebtedness, an IOU. It's an IOU that we have written and given to God. And the IOU says, God, I owe you complete obedience, total allegiance. See, God is our creator. We owe him everything. We owe him perfect service. But the record of our sin is conclusive evidence that we have not given God what we owe him. And now there's that record of indebtedness that stands against us. But God in his grace, God in his grace cancels that record. How? By nailing it to the cross. See, that IOU, it demands perfect obedience. And the one who went to the cross for us, Jesus Christ himself, he was perfectly obedient. He obeyed where you and I have disobeyed and he took the punishment for our sin. So in him, we can be forgiven. Believer, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ through faith, believer, rest in that. You have been forgiven all your trespasses, not some of them, all of them. To be in relationship with Jesus is to have all of this, forgiveness of sin, newness of life, fullness of spiritual experience. We don't need anything else.
We don't need whatever it is that these false teachers in Colossae were selling. At the end of the passage, Paul goes back to them and talks about their worthless practices. Remember the bookends of the passage. He starts with the false teachers and now he ends with them. And here's what he says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Verses 16 and 17, and then verse 18, which we'll get to in just a moment. These are the best clues we get in the whole letter. Here's what we know about what these people were teaching. First of all, they're elitists. We can see that here. They're passing judgment. They're passing judgment on anyone who does not buy into their philosophy. Perhaps saying things like, hey, you know what? Your, your views are just too, too narrow. You need to expand your thinking. You need to move on to something a little newer, a little more cutting edge. Your beliefs are outdated, antiquated. Boy, don't Christians, don't Christ followers hear very similar judgments from people today? Your views, Christian, are just too narrow. One God, one path to him, really? Come on. Christian, your views about family, gender, this stuff's outdated. You've got to get with the times. You've got to get with the times. Very similar to what the Christians in Colossae were probably listening to, the judgment that was being passed on them for not buying into these philosophers' teaching. We know they taught something about food and drink. They seemed to be very concerned with diet, Maybe they were concerned with the Old Testament food laws. Maybe they were prohibiting meat and wine. We don't really know for sure, but there was some sort of restrictive diet being enforced on people as a part of their system of thought. We also know they were into festivals, celebrations, keeping of certain calendars. And then in verse 18, it gets even more specific. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions. The word asceticism is a very interesting term. It actually is the same word for humility. In fact, later in this same letter, Paul will call the Christians to put on humility, and he uses this exact same term. The one that's translated here as asceticism. Well, what is humility? Humility is others-oriented way of living. Humility is self-forgetfulness. Paul uses the term here clearly with a negative sense, probably meaning something like not self-forgetfulness, but self-punishment. It's humility that's mutated. It's gone too far. It's self-punishment. That's what asceticism is. It's a severe sort of torturous self-discipline. Because Paul's already talked about the restrictions on diet, maybe these philosophers were saying, you know what, you need to fast for long periods of time. Long periods of time with no food, no drink, and maybe that was a way to bring on these visionary experiences, hallucinations that gave them this heightened sense of spirituality, claiming that they'd seen all these amazing things. Let me tell you about the experiences I've had. And then sandwiched in the middle of all this is this mention of worshiping angels. Now you remember at the beginning of the passage, elemental spirits? Seems like they were focusing on these elementals, these cosmic beings of air and earth and fire and water. Now it seems like that maybe they were praying or arguing that people should pray to angelic beings as a way of fighting off those elementals. So you put all this together and here's what we have. We have a picture 
of self-punishing practices. You've got to punish yourself. And prayers that are scattered here, there, and everywhere. Just got to cover all the bases. I'm going to pray to anything that moves. Paul says all of this, this entire system is a sham. It doesn't work. You're putting all this emphasis on things that don't work. He says it very clearly in the final verse of the chapter, verse 23, and we'll wrap up with this. These things, this entire system, they have indeed an appearance of wisdom. It's fancy talk. Sounds very intellectual, maybe. An appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. There's that self-punishment again. But they are of no value. No value, not at all. They're worthless in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. They can't do anything about our sin because they can't get to the heart. Sin ultimately is a problem not on skin level. It goes all the way to the heart. And these practices can't get you there. So all of this demands that we do a a bit of a search of our own lives this morning. We need to ask ourselves the question, am I devoting myself to any worthless, powerless practices? You should ask yourself that. Probably you're not thinking about the elementals. I get it. But I don't know what you might be mixing into your spirituality. Maybe you're thinking of spirituality more as a mixed drink. And you're thinking, I got Jesus in there, but I need all this other stuff too. So I'm gonna mix in a little of this. I'm gonna mix in a little of that. I'm gonna cover all my bases. I'm gonna send prayers here, there, and everywhere. Make sure somebody's listening. Or maybe there are some of you who have some self-punishing tendencies. It was a big part of these false teachers' scheme self-punishment maybe you have some self-punishing tendencies because you simply can't forget about those things you did in the past the things you've done or the things you've left undone maybe you feel this need to punish yourself friends if that's you this is the passage for you you are here for a reason today you need to hear that very language about your debt being canceled, nailed to the cross of Christ. You can stop punishing yourself. You don't have to punish. Instead, you can praise. In fact, you can sing those very words. You'll know them. Those famous words from Horatio Spafford. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel that we do not need to punish ourselves. Jesus, you have taken the punishment for us. Help us this morning to see you for who you truly are, supreme, sufficient, everything we need. God, reveal to us 
the powerless, worthless practices that we have been mixing into our lives. Help us to see them and to see them as powerless, to repent of them, to focus on Jesus and Jesus alone. He is all we need. Jesus, you are all we need. In your powerful name we pray, amen.